Let's just get into it, all right? Yeah. Welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History, where the takes are old and the drinks are cold. I'm Jake, and we got Eric tonight. I know, I did it backwards. That's fine. That's all right. That's all right. But uh, tonight on the docket, we're going to talk a little bit about the World Cup, uh, idiotic conspiracy theories, devotion, and Eric has a really bad joke for us tonight. So... So actually, let's the, get the into joke it. has to come first. Okay, let's do the joke it's not first. Even a joke. It's just an observation, and then I took it too far in my <laughs> okay. head. Okay. Perfect. Uh, it's like we we constantly get off topic at Dadbot history. We do. We constantly deviate. Yeah. Like maybe we should just become Dadbot deviants. But that just doesn't come out right. I think we'll definitely attract a different type of listener. (laughs) And they're going to be very disappointed. Like, these guys aren't deviant at all. No, they're just scatterbrained. (laughs) You know, it reminds me of when you did your senior seminar. The fact that that reminds you of something a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, no, that shows how on brand we are. But it reminds me you did your senior seminar in college for history. And it was about the Celts. Oh yeah, and it was about what is it? What was it specifically? Was it about like a Celtic identity? Yeah, and like here's kind of how they were culturally, and here's you know, and it's kind of hard to pin the Celts down. But you gave your presentation to all the history professors, and I and you were like, you got to, you had to open it up for questions, and so I sat in and watched you, and I was like, so basically. The summation of your idea of the Celtic identity is that they were just basically scatterbrained and that it got a bunch of chuckles from like Dr. Mobley and Dr. Horgan. But oh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure you aced it. I'm sure you did fine on the seminar. But I passed. It was like you, you had this 30 page paper and like, well, here they were like in this and like, and they believed in this, but then not really. And then it would kind of go focus on this other stuff. And like they met Alexander the Great. And they're like, hey, you're cool, but we're not going to worship you. And, like, they're just, yeah. they're just kind of doing their own thing. That was a fun anyway. paper to write. I enjoyed it. It, it was, was funny because I really enjoyed doing my senior seminar at Concordia. Like, it was, like you said, I don't know, it was fun, but it was really satisfying to, like, do history. Oh, yeah. Like, I have this question. Here's my hypothesis. Let's go research a bunch of stuff and then do a historiography and then draw conclusions from what we've researched and then present it and defend it. And like, that was really enjoyable for me to, to be able to stand on my own two feet basically. And so here's, here's my thing. Here's the thing I've worked on for basically a year and be able to, you know, defend it in front of a bunch of doctors and professors and, and, and kind of be acknowledged for that. That was a really satisfying moment in my education. Certainly. I, yeah. I, I, it was great. Yeah. I still remember like finishing that up and just being like, this paper is basically about this group of people that weren't a group of people. Yeah. I just lump them together because it's a little bit easier that way. Well, you know, it's funny. What was it, Dan Carlin, when he talked about uh, Caesar's conquest of the Celts, and he's basically like, well, how can you define a Celt? And they're like, you can't, but you kind of know it when you see it. Like, you know what a Celt <laughs> is, but you can't define a Celt. Because yeah. he said they're, they're not homogenous. They're not, they're not like the Romans who were a very specific group of people that lived yeah. on the Italian they, peninsula. They shared some cultural traits across a massive area of land sure and see they shared culture and and some like social kind of things that they did but mm-hmm. but beyond that it's like hard to pin them down yeah, yeah i so. mean the iberian celts were different than the you know uh Gallic Celts, which were different from the British Isle Celts, which were different mm-hmm. from the Germanic Celts, and and like 
you know, and then, then you got the Scythians over there in Asia Minor, and they're all different, but they're all Celts, quote unquote, because they had these kind of similarities. Yeah. Yeah. Just is very mostly they wore green top hats and had red hair and wanted to fight Nicks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. And then yeah, it's you you got you know, high marks for that uh conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> but as you're saying, we have deviated from whatever it was we were going to talk about. Off so topic. yeah, off topic, which is fine. Uh, I yeah, we are like cats. How about that? We are okay. We are um, cats. So, you want to talk about the World Cup? Well, do we want to talk about these other two things first? Okay, we can talk about these other two things. So let's talk about the conspiracy theories, or uh, yeah, let's let's the go movie devotion. Let's do conspiracy theories because all right, I have I, I've got a ton of stuff on my. Twitter feed about flat earth lately. I must follow some people that follow other people that insist on liking it and reposting it. I'm not yeah. getting rid of it, but it's <clears throat> so here's how I understand flat earth theory five years ago. You believe the earth is a disc mm-hmm. uh, floating in space, I suppose. And it's or resting on the turtle's back, which is resting on the four elephants, right? I don't know. But but it has become something entirely different because everything I'd seen, and there's a great movie called uh, Behind the Curve on Netflix. It's a documentary Mm -hmm. about flat earthers, and it's fascinating. They're trying to use different methods to prove the earth is flat. But I got to this point where what I'm seeing now is not all this, like, you know, because it used to be like planes fly in this direction. Why do they fly in that direction? Because that's actually a straight line to this place and all this stuff. Now it is, it's not just a flat earth. Okay. Antarctica is actually an, an ice wall Yep. around our flat earth, but it's not a flat earth. See, it goes beyond that because like earth is one puddle in this massive ice sheet where there's other worlds Oh. And and they uh, like know about us, but we don't know about them, and they all know about each other. And they like it's a Why, great idea the, for the a fantasy government. novel. I'm exactly, sure it is. Seen this map in a fantasy. I would book. read. I would read this. I would oh, read that series. It's fascinating, and part of it, it's like I kind of want to believe that because it'd be neat. Because it'd be like, oh, there's other places we could just just go over the ice wall and we'd see them. Literally, get in a puddle jumper and jump. Yeah. Over the ice. Yeah. But it's just so <sighs> whacked out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like seeing people seriously post this stuff. Be like yeah. your your lack of any evidence is startling. Now to be fair, mm-hmm. as fair as I can be, I don't I don't know. That the moon is floating in space. I've been told and I've, and I've seen it from my perspective, but I, I haven't gone out there and seen it. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know that, uh, you know, uh, Buzz Aldrin and, and uh, not Lance Armstrong, the other one. <laughs> you know, Lance Neil Armstrong. He was going to do it, but he got busted for blood doping. So... <laughs> Landed yeah. on the moon. Like I, I have it on pretty good evidence that they did, but I can't. I don't know, right? Like I know as much as I, I trust all of you know people in authority. Mm-hmm. But it just, I can't wrap my mind around it because it's too fantastical. I guess I can't. The wheel and, and of time is more believable as actual history. Than the idea of a flat Earth among all these other oh, yeah. worlds in the puddles, or or Lord of the Rings and us being the fourth age of Middle Earth, like that that tracks to me better than these flat Earth conspiracy we're, theories. We're but the it's fourth also like, age of Middle Earth and the first age of Wheel of Time. We yeah, can be both. 
Why not? Yeah, we're that we're a, a crux crux age right now. Yeah. But it's like with the flat earth conspiracy theory. I don't understand what the benefit is of proving the earth is flat. Like, I don't understand what the goal is other than saying, you know, it somehow proving the earth is flat. Then what? Like, like, is there some great truth or technological discovery that's being hidden from us by this worldwide conspiracy that the earth is in fact round and not flat? Like, or I think it has to do with, uh, power. Like, the, the sure. conspiracy is not that the Earth is flat. The Ultimately, is that somebody is controlling it and insisting and like telling us lies. Yeah, and and you know it's funny. Was it you or Jeff that sent us the video of Ron Funches saying, "I get that you you don't want to believe in some conspiracies, don't believe in most conspiracies, but yeah. not all." Like, the, there's no way the government's batting a thousand. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I agree with that. Like, I absolutely believe the United States government or governments across the world lie to their constituents and hide things because that's what governments have done since governments have existed. And, yeah. and sometimes those are for good reasons and sometimes they're for terrible reasons. But yeah, I, I believe the government hides things. I believe there's people in the government that form conspiracies to do things. I just don't think that conspiracy is that the earth is not round. I think those conspiracies are sadly a lot more mundane. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's the thing that these conspiracy theorists like. It's not, it's it, to them, it's not sexy enough. And if it's not like literally the formation of the earth within the solar system. It's like, well, but yeah, no, the government lies, but they aren't lying about that. And I think yeah. <laughs> because you get so distracted about that, you're actually missing the stuff that they're actually being deceitful about. And again, yeah. you know, the government hides information and lies about stuff all the time, especially during times of war or crisis. And sometimes that's for national security issues. But other times it, it may be far more insidious, but we're so distracted about whether or not the moon is real or we have a local sun <laughs> that we aren't actually holding our representatives to account. Like the fact it's ridiculous. I'm like, wait, hold on. What is a local sun? That word is coming to my vocabulary only this week. A I'm local not sure. Sun. I saw it I once or twice on a TikTok video. And I think it's basically like, it's closer than like, if you fly close, if you can fly high enough, you can find like, a sun that covers this part of the earth, like it's local to this region of the earth. And I guess obviously much smaller than the actual, I don't know. Again, I try not to dive too far into this, but I've seen it. And like, I was just like, why is that what you're hitching your wagon to? Like, why don't you go like, go friggin' figure out Hunter Biden's laptop. That's far more important. And I don't buy that either, but like, there's plenty of like more grounded conspiracies that you can jump into and like they may actually affect our day-to-day -day life. Flat Earth is not going to change my life. Even if somebody came out and proved it, I'd be like, okay, yeah. okay. I got to go to work tomorrow. So does this change I anything? I my job doesn't change unless I've been teaching yeah. round Earth. Exactly. Well, then you can like, change the word to flat. Yeah. Okay, just scratch that out in the book. Most things still work the same, so yeah, it doesn't um, affect our life outside. Yeah, it was of one of the other uh, piece of evidence that uh, there's no there's not actually satellites running the internet. It's all these underground cables. It's like okay, which probably also really more much more cost effective to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't see that as proof of anything. But you know, yeah. No, they're right. What Satellites do don't run our internet, except for maybe Starlink. But yeah, cables, it makes sense to have underground cables or transatlantic cables because they're cheaper and they're far more reliable. See, there you go. From an expert. From an expert, right? Yeah. Someone... <laughs> I'm an expert adjacent, but yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't sure. point those satellite, those uh, cell phone uh, towers, you don't point them up at the sky. No, honestly, it's so funny. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose I could get into it, but no, your cell phone talks to the tower, and then the top, the tower has a cable that runs to a switch, and then the switch distributes it across the country to whoever's on the other end. There you go. Don't call yourself oh, cell expert call. adjacent ever again. Okay. Be better. Because I just perfectly described <laughs> how the wireless network works. How the flat wireless yeah. network works. Shocker. The With wireless lots network has a lot of wires. <laughs> a lot of wires. <laughs> Anyway, um, and then, well, and, and I wanted to talk about real quickly, because you posted that video kind of asking about the flat earth, but then you also posted it about the Holocaust and obviously Holocaust denial. And one of the people that replied on your TikTok said, I can't believe that people believe or deny the, the reality of the Holocaust. And they're just shocked that people believe that. And... I know this is a little, obviously this is a lot more serious and a lot more grave because this does, this conspiracy does have real world consequences because like you said, and if you go to the Holocaust museum's website, they say it is like the most documented event in history. There are just scads of documents, photos, testimonies, not only from victims, but from the perpetrators, the Nuremberg yeah, the trials. Guards and the people who happened upon the camps. Yeah. Like Eisenhower, he's like, we have to get footage of all of this. We have to document this. So uh, it just boggles my mind. Like, you believe the Declaration of Independence was signed, but there was only, there, I mean, not even all, however many it was, 57, 37, 51, however mm-hmm. many men signed the Declaration of Independence. They weren't even all in the room at the same time. So yeah. those are the only witnesses to the signing of that document. We we believe it happened. Yeah. Right? We believe the Gettysburg Address happened. There's only a few hundred people witnessed that. This this happened in a way that hundreds of thousands of people experienced it and survived. More thousands of people perpetrated it, survived, and testified, and others happened upon it. Hundreds of thousands of others happened upon it and witnessed it and documented it. So now I think there's a couple things there. I think some people will argue, well, the six million figure isn't accurate. Okay. A, it's not exactly six million. I'll grant you that. B, saying it's maybe a few thousand less than six million and saying it's a few million less than six million, totally mm-hmm. different things. Not to mention, even if it's only a million people, still it goes a in the category of bad, right? Like, yeah. So I don't, again, I begin to wonder why, why would you say the Holocaust didn't happen? What's the objective there? Why would, why would somebody invent that story? Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, we get into that whole, like, uh, you know, it's just the Zionist looking for pity. And it's like, okay, stop. Yeah. Stop. That's not. But ultimately that's, it doesn't the root a lot of, a lot of this is that, Mm -hmm. and it seems to be gaining steam for whatever reason in recent years, but it's like this idea, like, and, and I think that's the thing is Holocaust denial is not a new phenomenon. They were doing it during the Holocaust. The Germans were, like it says, uh, in 1942 to 44, they were destroying records. Um, they were destroying evidence of mass graves in Belzec, Sobobor, and Treblinka. Um, they were, you know, covering up the sure. evidence that they were committing this atrocity. And that was during the war. But even very shortly after the war, um, in 1955, Will- Willis Carto, and this is from the Holocaust Encyclopedia um, at the United States Holocaust, uh, memorial. And it says 1955, Willis Cartel formed a group called the Liberty Lobby, which existed until 2001. Um, they're advocating for a quote unquote racially pure United States. And they were blaming Jewish people for all the problems facing the U S and the world. Um, and they were kind of one of the first groups, at least in America to advocate that the Holocaust was, you know, fabricated or at a bare minimum exaggerated, I guess, for 
for some nefarious purpose. Um, but this continues. I mean, throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I mean, there's just continual, you know, uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, the father of uh, Marie Le Pen, Le Pen, who just ran for president in France. She, he was a Holocaust denier. Like, this stuff has existed ever since the Holocaust has happened. But now it seems to be gaining steam. And it's like, there's real world implications there. So I think because gaining if, steam, what I think is happening is that it's getting, I don't know that more people are really adopting it. Or if they're just kind of sure. parroting it and kind of like trying it out for clout and trying to get some traction on their social media, but uh, the there it's it's clearly louder, right? Like the mm-hmm. the social media landscape allows people to put these ideas out there and just blast them. Yeah. Right? you don't have to go through a publisher. You don't. Yeah, have it's to go far more prominent. Internet. Yeah, so it's just I think it's appearing more, and then we have some people in the in the uh, and that bring, I'm going to have to get up in a second and show you there's some people in in kind of our like zeitgeist that have a loud voice that are saying some wild things and that's it's kind of making other people or allowing other people to speak more freely maybe emboldening them to speak in this like way and saying things that are anti-Semitic, it's just odd at the moment that this would it be is the thing. Odd, that- but it's also, you know, it's kind of upsetting. And I think obviously in the past week, the probably the biggest name is yay or Kanye mm-hmm. uh, going on all those interviews and saying like, there's things about Hitler that apparently he thinks are great and respected. And, and it's like, you are by doing that, whether it's just for clout or he's playing some big practical joke on us that we're not aware of. It's like that sort of talk makes it easy for the casual racism that people perpetrate on Jewish people throughout the world mm-hmm. to say, well, it's you no, know, it, it, you know, the Holocaust or Hitler wasn't that bad or the Holocaust wasn't real. And it was, you know, and then you take that farther and a lot of these Holocaust deniers that are mentioned, they take that to the next step that it's Zionists or it's the Jews were secretly doing this to, you know, control the world. And then you get into that. Oh, and and yeah, it seems ridiculous, but for enough people, they can take that, I guess, intuitive leap and say, well, yeah, maybe, maybe the Jewish people are pulling the strings. You know, there are a lot of Jewish people in Hollywood and there's a lot of Jewish people in banks. And so maybe they are orchestrating all this from behind the scenes. And then it's easy for, you know, some young boy like myself. And I'll, when I was a kid and young man, I would say things that were, yeah, absolutely were anti-Semitic. And I didn't really understand why I said them other than, my friends would say things that are anti-Semitic. So I did. And mm-hmm. a lot of that isn't even, it's not even, you know, I don't even know if I was aware of it or right. understood why I was saying these things, but a lot of that's based in this, this rhetoric that gets thrown about and then just kind of ignored and like, yeah, but that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just an odd thing to be happening 75 years later. Yeah. Like, this thing didn't happen. It's like, why? Why that? Mm -hmm. And also the anti-Semitism, which just seems... It's hard to pin it down. Mm -hmm. I think. Because there's... It's like, well, can can you criticize the government of Israel? Or is that anti-Semitic? There's some people that say, if you are speaking against the government of Israel, you're being anti-Semitic. Well, no, that's not true. You can criticize the government. Yeah, absolutely. If you're saying if you're criticizing a people, it gets a little sure. bit murkier. Because, like, I, you know, we're going to get to the World Cup, but 
like I'm, I sit here and say, I think what the Qataris are doing at the World Cup is wrong. What I really mean is the the people in the government power of Qatar, Qatar. and yeah. the people who are really wealthy. So, um, yeah, the average person that lives in Qatar was suffering to build this World Cup. You know, yeah. they they're not the ones to blame. They're but they weren't Qatari. Okay. That's the thing. They yeah. were like, yeah, that's true. They're a lot Pakistani of them were forced or immigrants or Indonesian. Yeah. So they weren't even Qatari. So it, it's it's difficult to criticize a group when you mean to c- criticize those in power of that group. Sure. But the problem is, yeah, and there's absolutely things that you can look the at the is that, that government group, of Israel. And- has somehow empowered those in power, right? Like, I think we'd say it would be fair to criticize anyone living in the South during the, the Civil War. Sure. But, to a certain are they extent. All, right? So are they all complicit? Truly complicit? Because mm-hmm. that's painting with the same size brush. And maybe that's the thing is with Israel and, and the Jewish diaspora is that for the longest time the Jewish people did not have a home mm-hmm. and were able to form a national government. They were always spread across much of Europe and North Africa and Asia. And as a result, their lack of a nation state is probably what subjected them. You know, anytime there was a problem in Italy it was the Jewish people's fault or when the black plague rolled through Europe. Well, it's because of the Jewish people, you know, and and now it's documented this, this anytime something bad was going on in a lot of these Mm -hmm. countries immediately, let's blame the Jewish people for it because they're there. They aren't, you know, and then they were forced into ghettos and like in Italy and Venice, they're forced into banks among Jewish groups throughout history. This is true of other groups where they, they tend to not assimilate. And they do that on yeah. purpose. And I think that's fine. But when you, if you're not going to fully assimilate into a society and you are going to set yourself apart for whatever reason, again, I think that's good for people to hang on to culture. Sure. It also sets you apart and it makes you more susceptible to being targeted. Right? Like, you're different. Yeah. You always look for the other thing to say, that's, that's different enough that I can blame it. Yeah, no, that's true. And, I mean, I think you can look, like, again, you know, in Italy, or Venice specifically, uh, people that were Jewish descent were forced to live in ghettos, and they were only allowed certain professions, a lot of those professions being money lending, mm-hmm. because... The Pope said Christians can't lend money for interest. Ah, but there's a loophole. Jewish people can. So then Jewish people became money lenders because those were all one of the few jobs that they were allowed to pursue. And so then from that develops this idea, well, Jewish people control the banking system. Well, they were only bankers because that's what you forced them to be. <laughs> it's the same thing with Hollywood. Like, um, you know, a lot of there's a lot of people in, in Hollywood that are Jewish, that are executives and owners of these studios. And people say, well, see, they control Hollywood. It's like, well, the only reason they were there is because in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the only jobs they could have were like in vaudeville. And so they just became really successful at vaudeville and Broadway. And then when that moved to Hollywood, they moved to Hollywood with it. And that's why, like, and it's, so it's just interesting to see how these these thoughts develop like why why are so many jewish people bankers or in hollywood well because they were forced there by the mm-hmm. people in power in the country they lived well, and, and when they became successful they were stigmatized for that as well i don't want to speak for the jewish people but i'm going I, to okay <laughs> okay i mean i'm sure it's silly how fine. many how many orthodox jews are running banks how many orthodox jews are running hollywood like these are not. Oh, that's true. Yeah, these probably are not, not. Not many. You know, 
these are not your like 700 club style sure. Jews running these things. It's it's just it, it's not it's not what it's like presented as this nefarious thing. It's just people through a variety of means and methods and, and circumstances ending up in a position where they feel they're contributing. Yeah. Although and I don't know. Again, like he's, what you alluded to though is really interesting. Cause again, like when we were mentioning the Celts, like there is no just one type of Celt, right? There's a, a wide variety of, of people groups and yeah, they have these similar identities, but they're still very, very different. And the same thing goes for Jewish people and, and people of, of Semitic heritage is, yeah, they're, they're Semitic or they're descendants of Israel, the ancient Israel, but there's still a multitude of difference between certain groups and trying to yeah, and that's throw them all in one pot is anti-Semitic would be like, it's not just Jews. It's like a massive net that covers most of, I mean, most of Palestine and yeah, and the entire Middle East, North is, Northwest Asia, yeah. So, Northwest Asia, yeah, like where you know where Palestine was, Syria, oh, okay. yeah, the Near East, Jordan, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, the Holocaust did happen. There is no Jewish plot to take over the world. Yeah, and it's sad that we have to state that because it's, I I actually don't think there's too many plots to take over the world. I didn't say none. none. There's I no secret plots to take over the world. Well, they're pretty, That's the the pretty, uh, uh, you know, brazen. That's what they are. Yeah, like, the communists were pretty clear from the get go. Yeah, and when England was doing their thing, the sun never sets on the British Empire. They were yeah. being very clear, like. Like, I mean, all the plots to take over the world are pretty easy to point out because the world starts getting taken over. Like, it's never as insidious as we think it is, which maybe is why it doesn't appeal to these conspiracy theorists. It's like, no, it's got to be something secret or like, no, they're usually pretty blatant, at least in recent memory. Um, okay, so, yeah, let's take a hard right turn into the World Cup. Oh, I want to talk about Devotion, though. Oh, yeah. I really do. I went and saw that That's film That's the movie tonight. about the fighter pilot, right? Yeah. Uh, I took Owen to see it tonight. Okay. And um, it is a box office bomb, apparently. It's like made $20 million maybe, out of a budget of $90 million, And that is an absolute atrocity. Like, that really bums me out, because it was a good film. Yeah. And um, Jonathan Majors plays Jesse Brown, who is the who is the pilot who's uh, uh, kind of featured in the film. Glenn Powell plays mm -hmm. uh, Thomas um, Hudner, who won the Medal of Honor um, for his okay. action. And, uh, you know, it's about these pilots who are flying the F4U Corsairs during the Korean War. And... Um, you know, Jesse Brown is the first African-American naval aviator to graduate. And, you know, in this kind of film, I think it's easy for them to get very preachy about race. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. It was just, it was just there. And it was so well done. I thought it was really well done. Like, I really enjoyed mm -hmm. the development of his character with his wife and kind of, like, why he was doing what he was doing. Um, there were some really hard scenes, especially with him just kind of, like, playing through all the things that he's been told in his life that he couldn't do. But it was a good movie. And uh, there's a moment at the end um, when Thomas Hudner... He is receiving the Medal of Honor. And essentially what he did is uh, Jesse Brown's plane was shot. Um, and he had to land it, crash land it, because the engine locked up. So he crash landed mm -hmm. on this mountain. 
and uh, Thomas Hutner flying with the rest of their their um, sortie was like, I have to go down there because I can't see him moving in the plane. We see him moving, but he's not getting out. So Hubner crashed his plane. <laughs> and his his wingman, Jesse Brown, was his legs were pinned in the airplane, so he couldn't get him out. Search and rescue showed up. And by that time he had he had died. So oh. Thomas Hubner received the Medal of Honor for basically crashing his plane to try to rescue him. And what ends up happening is that the rest of the the uh, sortie, the rest of the pilots had to go um, basically destroy both airplanes. Um, so that they oh, so the taken. enemy couldn't get the... Yeah. yeah. And I guess even into the past few years, Thomas Hudner has still been trying to get back to North Korea to retrieve Jesse Brown's remains. Um, but he received the Medal of Honor. So at the end of the film, my son is asking me, he says, what's that medal? And then I have to lean over with my voice not quite working and say, well, that's that's a Congressional Medal of Honor. Mm -hmm. You know, big gulp. And he says, well, why are they giving that to him? Because of what he did to try to save his friend. You know, and I'm trying to do this through like, you know, that emotional part of the film. Um mm -hmm. Really good movie. I really enjoyed it. The uh, the person who was in charge of like creating all of the uh, airline uh, the airplane shots and everything was the same person who worked on Top Gun Maverick. Okay. So they used a lot of real airplanes for this. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was good. That's awesome, man. Good story. It's interesting with it's because you said it was the Korean War, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. kind of a forgotten war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally. this was very early on in the war. This was in 1950. So right at the outset. In fact, it was today, December 4th, 1950, that he died. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. It's it's cool to see movies like that about Korea, because we just don't make movies about... We make a ton of movies about World War II. Yeah. A lot of movies about Vietnam, even World War One. But outside of the show MASH, we don't yeah. really do. We don't adapt the Korean War. Um, and, it, I mean, the, the men and women that were there were just as heroic and brave as I'm any other theater America's been in. I may need to get into it a little bit more because um, there is a lot of really good stories out of that. Like uh, Sergeant Reckless, the horse, comes out of that. Yeah. Obviously, MASH, which ran longer than the war did. Um, <laughs> By six years. I, I, yeah. I want to, like, just watch it. Just watch the show. Because I've never really watched it. Um, oh, I watched it all the time when I was a kid. My dad would have it on every night when it was on. And ba -da 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 -da. Yeah. Do you know what the lyrics are to that song? No. The, the title of the song is uh, Suicide is Painless. Oh, jeez. And the lyrics are, suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. Like in the movie, Nash, the, the lyrics are actually like Set, sung. Recited. It's just weird because yeah. the music doesn't sound like that's what the song is, but it's like oh. dark. And Jeff has, has mentioned that to me before. Um, but, um, you know, uh, Nathan Hale's books, Hazardous Tales, there's one called uh, Cold War Correspondent. So the first female war correspondent was in Korea. Oh. And basically they would take planes from their bureaus in Japan to wherever in South Korea, and then they go do their reporting, and then they get out back to Japan to send the briefs back, send their articles sure. back. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating war. It went, like, back and forth, right? So yeah. early on... You know, the North Koreans crossed the border in November of 1950, October, somewhere around then. I think they made it all the way to Busan. Oh, all the way to, like, the southern tip. Well, that's what Busan South is. Korea. It's the southernmost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where they held out. And then the U.N., 
invaded at, um, uh, oh my gosh. So they invaded on the west coast of South Korea uh, later on and, like, cut the North Korean lines in half. Yeah, the Pusan perimeter. And then it was the uh, Incheon. Mm-hmm. Which is oh, not too so far sorry. from Seoul. It was uh, earlier in 1950 that they took them down the Pusan perimeter. And then in September 1950, they launched that assault on Incheon and they invaded North Korea in October 1950. So the events of the film happened as like a counter to the counter offensive. Sure. But man, what a mess. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Right. South Korea is in the World Cup, though. Yeah, they're still going, still. aren't they? What a great segue. How do we go from these really heavy topics to the World Cup? Well, South Korea and Japan are in the World Cup still, so let's talk yeah. about that. Both of them play so, tomorrow. Who do they play? Do you know? Japan plays Croatia and Brazil plays South Korea. Well, I feel good about Japan. South Korea's got a tough out against Brazil. They do. They but do. didn't South Korea beat... Who did they beat? The, uh, was it the, the Belgium? Korea beat Portugal. Portugal. That's it. And Japan beat Spain, which knocked Germany out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that was wild. so much fun. So we won't talk about how the U.S. did. That's irrelevant to this conversation. I actually want to talk about how the U.S. did. <laughs> okay. We talked about it a little bit today, but... Yeah, so the World Cup, right? Like, I, I was doing some reading about the World Cup, and the first World Cup took place in 1930. Before that, mm-hmm. um, Uruguay had won two world championships for soccer, and both of those were hosted by the Olympics. So in 1930, FIFA said, we want to have our own competition. Uruguay is going to host it. And... Uh, like, no one from Europe came. They were, like, unwilling. That was to kind of a it. common trend they, they during those first couple. Came, but a lot. I think there's only four European countries. Um, and usually it was well, and I think when the, when it, And I think, conversely, when it was held in Europe, right. a lot of the South American teams wouldn't make the trip to Europe because yeah, they had to travel. So coming to Uruguay, it was, like, Germany, Romania, and, like, Yugoslavia came to the 1930 World Cup, as did the U.S. And the U.S., like, and we we trounced some people in that 1930 World Cup. Um, let's, let's look at U.S.'s record in the World Cup in 1930. Okay. First, all of right. all, first of all. First of all. First of all. We won our group. We beat Belgium three to zero. We beat Paraguay three to zero. Like, yeah. Then we go to the semifinals. We lose to Argentina six to one. And then no. I think we just they just gave us third place. Like we didn't have to earn it. Nice. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. So we didn't have to play a final game. Anyways, that's dumb. <laughs> Sorry, man. Go back far enough and it's still just dumb. Mexico had zero wins in that first World Cup. That kind of makes me happy. But, um, you know it- yeah, FIFA and the IOC got in a spat about soccer later on to the point that FIFA no longer sponsored soccer in the Olympics. Because they were arguing. Which uh, which international sport government or governing body is more corrupt, the IOC or FIFA? Oh, the IOC. <laughs> Only because they have they have something going on every two years. Yeah. Um, I think pretty I, corrupt. <laughs> FIFA is pretty bad. 
Um, what was the guy's name that was ahead of FIFA Forever and that Set oversaw Blatter. the Set Bladder? That guy. Oh, yeah. I don't know. If FIFA as a whole is more corrupt, but he was bad with how he handled the the bid to giving it to a giving the World Cup to Qatar. You, it, I mean, remember it was the moment bid. it happened. It was a joint uh, session, so they chose 2018 and 2022 at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so one went because I remember because we were watching it because we we're good teachers. We were watching <laughs> it being Gosh, during our classes. So frustrated, and we were like, "All right, we know we're not getting 2018 because that's going to go to Russia. We, we should be getting 2022, and then Qatar out of nowhere." And we're like, "Well, the fix is in." I think I I felt the same way. I I had the same like gut reaction to that as I did when in 2018 the United States failed to qualify for the World Cup. Like the night that game happened, mm-hmm. I was just like pit in my stomach. Yeah, and and, and I think although giving it to Russia looks real bad now. And in 2018 and Qatar is not much better, but like, it's just a matter of, and I understand the goal because you don't want it to just be in Europe or United States. And I totally understand that because it is a world competition, but why not South Korea? Why not Japan? Like, like there's other countries. There's, I mean, South America is always down to host a world cup. Like, there's plenty of other countries that you can award a world cup to that are just not so brazenly corrupt. And well, and also FIFA could have taken the world cup away from Qatar on November 1st and the United States could have hosted it on yeah. November 20th. Yes. We're like, we yeah, we always- have the stadiums. We have the infrastructure. We have we have enough hotels for everyone. Everything will mm-hmm. be fine. Yeah, we can do that. That's what I said. And when I'm like, like after a Qatar reverse course, did oh yeah, no drinking in Qatar. Shocker. We, we can but do like, this in two days. Like, like, like United States should always be the runner up to what whoever wins the bid. If it's not the United States, we should always be the backup plan because we're always ready. Always. Any and and you can just pick a region in the United States and it's ready. Like you don't have to worry about like coordinating between like Florida and New York and California and Texas. You can just say, "All right, Kansas the City, Midwest Missouri, Illinois. It. Yeah, you guys are hosting the World Cup. You good? Got it. Yeah, we've got like six football stadiums and like, yeah. like we'll knock out some walls. Yeah, it just blows my mind how." blatantly corrupt that was. But then, um, you know, the IOC, you have uh, Russia's banned from the Olympics, but not really, because all their athletes can still compete. They're just under the Olympic flag. Yeah, they just have to do it under the Olympic flag. The only flag more corrupt than Russia's. (laughs) It's the (laughs) Olympic flag. Like, it just blows my mind that they get away with that stuff. And You know, I'm not trying to say the United States, we don't got our problems. We certainly do. Every country does, but come on, man. <laughs> like, there's you had better options, FIFA. Um, but yeah, getting back to how the U.S. did in the World Cup, and this is something you know, you and I have been fans of United States soccer for about the same time 12, 13 years now. Yeah, I, I can and, it back to the moment, too. What was the moment? So, I was at a summer camp with my wife. We were, we were uh, chaperoning a bunch of junior high kids. Mm-hmm. And I woke up in the morning and I go to like the cabin where all the adults kind of meet beforehand. And I pull up on my phone. It was 2009. I don't know. Basically, I, I had seen that in the Confederations Cup, okay, the 2009 Confederations Cup. And here's, here's another beef I, I have. It. The Confederations Cup. Um, was a competition that FIFA put on like the year before the World Cup at the host. It's kind of a tune-up. Kind of a tune-up to how are you going to run this thing. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And basically, it had eight competitors, one from each confederation, as well as a previous World Cup winner, and then, like, um, yeah, so you had your, like, one from each confederation plus whoever had the championship from the previous year. And it was, like, two groups of four, top two move on. So it's a small competition, but, you know, you play games. Yeah. So the U.S. Uh, goes into this competition, and they lose to Italy one to three. And then they lose to Brazil three to zero. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. has zero points. They're down five goals. And they play Egypt. And for whatever reason, um, the U.S. beats Egypt three to zero. But Brazil beats Italy three to zero. And that make, puts U.S. in the second position because Brazil had nine points. They beat everybody. The U.S. had three. Italy had three. Egypt had three. The difference was gold differential. the goal differential between U.S. and Italy was still negative two. The U.S. had scored one more goal than Italy in the whole thing. So it put the U.S. through. The United mm -hmm. States plays Spain. On June 24th, and this is the moment that I became a fan. Because I pulled this up on my phone, I see, oh, they got through. On the 24th of June, they beat Spain 2-0. to zero. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's on. So when I get back from camp, I watch the Brazil game for the final. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. goes up 2-0 on Brazil in the first half. Mm. And in the second half, Brazil scores three goals. Yep. But from that moment, I was in. And I think the following summer, um, South Africa 2010, was a ton of fun because two things were happening. One is my house was getting like, our, my condo was getting like renovated because we had mold in the wall. But it's so fun. But. Three of those, four of those days, uh, we met. What was the name of that bar we went to? I don't remember. It wasn't Fibber McGee's. It was, um, don't remember. It was like off Arizona. No. It's past Arizona. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I don't remember. Uh, but we met there for those games. Every we game, breakfast. we'd go there in the morning, have breakfast, have a couple pints. You drank Dr. Pepper like it was going out of business. Oh, my gosh. It was like Dr. Pepper <laughs> in the morning. This is amazing. <laughs> and uh, and when we – was it was it against Ghana that we scored and we made it out of the group stage? No, that was Algeria. Yeah. Algeria. That was Landon was, Donovan's uh, – Landon Donovan scored it. And it was like – was it in, it wasn't, was it in stoppage time? It was real close. It was either right well, before stoppage or it was during stoppage. But he scored that. Take you know, runs to the corner, takes sure enough, screams and like we were ninety crazy. plus one minutes. Yeah. And there is those England fans that have been harassing us every game of the every game that we went to and scored and like uh I picked the guy up and gave him a hug and he's <laughs> <laughs> like, Okay, mate, like <laughs> just um yeah, that was it tied, for me. Tied England, we tied Slovenia. Yep. And then we beat Algeria. Yeah. And that's then we what got went us on to the, We were robbed. That was an extra against time against Ghana. And my favorite yep. moment, I said that to Jeff, like a core memory of Jeff, top five moment, is we're in that bar and a lot of people have showed up at this point, right? Like the first few games, mm -hmm. like there was a couple of games where the bar wasn't that full. The England game, it was big, like... The Petersons were there. Time England played, it was packed. But the other games were a little less so, but that Ghana game, it was packed. And then when we lost it, Jeff gets up and like, this game is stupid. Is there a baseball game on? Just. <laughs> yep. So. And, and what's great yeah. about the next round, Ghana played Uruguay. And that's the game where Ghana um, had a shot on goal and. I don't think it was Suarez, but it was a Uruguayan player, put his hand up and just hit the ball. Oh, that handball. red carded. Yep. But then Ghana goes up for the penalty kick, and they 
it gets saved. So Ghana was just furious that, like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it was Suarez. It was Luis Suarez. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. But and all that to say, like, obviously that's when for me when U.S. soccer is like this is I love watching this now. But the same thing every World Cup that we've been in since I've started watching, we've always had pretty solid defense. We just can't score goals. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's what bit us this time. Like, although they allowed three goals, but the reason they allowed three goals is because they couldn't put pressure on and score their own. Like you have to have the ability to put the ball in the net and the United States, just at least in the world cup, they just struggle with it. Like they just can't do it the way the top level European and South American teams do. And it, you know, until we figure that out, it's our, you know, our fates aren't really going to change much. Although these guys are fun to watch. In that game. And a red card in that Uruguay Ghana game. Yeah. And you know, Suarez got that red card in the 120th minute. Oh, so they were in extra time. That it? Yeah. Anyway, that's all. I'm just, I still love watching it. Oh my God. But it's so much fun. And so, uh, what was the team that played uh, Friday? I don't know. Might have been uh, Thursday. No, Friday. Um, This was really cool. The. Ghana, no. Cameroon versus Brazil. Cameroon beat Brazil, right? Yeah. This is on Friday. The guy who scored the goal in the 92nd minute took his shirt off. You get a yellow card for that, right? Then he took his pants off. No. (laughs) No. He got a yellow card. But he had gotten a yellow card earlier in the game. Oh, so now he's out. So he's out. So, but they weren't going through. But it's funny because the ref came over to him, and he kind of like shook his hand, gave him the yellow card, gave him the red card, and the guy like walked off like, "Yeah, that's fine. I hey, scored against whatever. Brazil. We we, we beat just Brazil. Beat Brazil. Yeah, I'll take that red card and put it in a frame. Yeah. Um. But luckily, that's okay because even the United States men can't. Do much. The United States women's soccer team is always winning championships. So those are fun to watch. But I, yeah, it's fun to see them win. I just like, I, it's fun, except that there's, I never feel the drama because I never feel like the competition is there. Oh, like there's from just the other nobody teams. that can beat us. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Oh, and, 2015 and I like or 2019. For the uh the Brazil match was really fun to watch where they mm-hmm. had to beat Marta basically by herself. But um that one was fun. And even though they lost, when they lost to Japan in the championship, that was a very fun game to watch. Um but otherwise, you're right. The a lot of the other nations just they just don't have the, the talent pool that we have to draw from um, on the whole. So a lot of the games aren't that exciting. But what I like about watching the women is they're just like relentless. Like they have a like a fearlessness and an edge that I don't know if the United, the men's team has. Or maybe they do now, but they didn't there for a good chunk of the mid-2010s. Or the men's team would just hang back on defense and just kind of wear, try to wear people down that way. Whereas the women's team was just attack, 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 which is always fun to watch. But yeah, I, I think there's something to, I, I, what I enjoy about watching the men's game is as opposed to the women's, the women's they've already, for the U S women, they have it already. Like there's no, there's no pinnacle to reach. 
Yeah, they've climbed the mountaintop over and over and over again. And so it's like, well, if the men had won yesterday, Saturday morning, they had won that. Yeah. I'd be looking at a Friday match against Argentina. Sure. And I'd be like, even even on Saturday, we're playing with house money. Like, four years ago, we weren't even here. Now yeah. we're playing with house money. I just want to see how far we can go at this point. I'm, mm-hmm. I want to win the thing, but there there's a point at which, like, the, any progress we can make is good. So making it to yeah. the 16 was a good step. Quarterfinals would no, have been No, I amazing. agree with that. I think it's funny, like, you know, I've been a Packer fan my whole life, and I've been blessed with a whole lot of great years of football to watch. And I think a lot of good football teams, like the Patriots and their fans, have been so spoiled by success that they're almost bored with it. Mm -hmm. And I think you can say the same about the United States women's soccer team. They're just so great. They're always winning. It's almost, you know, it's just almost happenstance. And but I know watch, how like, hard they work at it. Like, there's no, no they, doubt and they've that earned they it. I'm not saying that, but like, well. but then you watch like a like the Browns, or like, and and they they make the playoffs a couple of years ago, and they like want to burn the city down. They're so excited, or yeah. you know, in the Cavaliers. I don't know. Why I keep saying Cleveland teams. I guess because. <laughs> There's a lot of bad teams, but when the Cavaliers won the championship in 2016, like that was huge for them, and that was exciting because they they hadn't won it in 50 years. Um, that's how I felt when the Bucks won the NBA championship a couple years ago. Like it was just awesome, and like if they never win again in my lifetime, I'll still be really happy because that one time they did it. You know, whereas like the the Warriors win. Every other year, it seems like, and it's just, it's great, and they're yeah, awesome. I, you know, I've got but it's not as exciting. The drama isn't there, and and they're like, yeah, how many rings you got as a Phoenix Suns fan? And I'm just like, you are so spoiled. Like you were born mm-hmm. into this. You were like four years old when you saw your first Warriors game, and they mm-hmm. won, and everyone got excited, and they won again when you were six, and when you were nine, and like, it's all mm-hmm. you know. Like, there's going to be a, a day, there's going to be a decade where the Warriors are just trash. And you're going to be like, yeah, there's what a, happened? There's decades before this where the Warriors were trash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they just, they were just born at the right time. And and so for like a Phoenix Suns fan. Sure. Like, I was, I've only been a Phoenix Suns fan since like 92, 93 when I kind of was aware of them. To, they got so close. And then in 2004, five and six, like they were right there. They just couldn't get over the hump. And two years ago, they were, they were, they were two Oh in the finals. Like they were yep. right there. And to go to like, get so close. And I coached teams who as seventh graders, they go and they compete and they get so close. And then the next year they're just like, I'm hungry. Like, I, I yeah. want, I want to like get there. And so I see what's really fun about this U S team. It's they're so young and I feel really bad that this is the first world cup that Kristen Pulisic got to a B at. You should have been at the previous one. Like mm-hmm. just imagine being at that one and then at this one and kind of the, the level of progress they would have with that experience. But I think there's yeah. only one or two players on the squad this time around that was that were there in 2014. So it's yeah. just this huge step and through the program, and yeah, it's and, so, and it's more fun. Like it's enjoyable, even though they didn't, you know, they lost yesterday. It's still like fun to watch because you can see that they're having fun, yeah, and like they're enjoying it. And like that's what's fun about about watching any sports team that has struggled for a while have any measure of success. It's like the wins are sweeter. It's more enjoyable. Oh, yeah. yeah Even so if I, you don't win the championship, you're like, man, that was a fun season. Yeah. You can still do that. And I've done that as a coach with teams. I've coached have gotten so close and been like, man, that was a fun season. I know we lost the last game, but 
I'll take it. And, you know, kind of enjoying that ride. It's fun. Although there's a certain level of anxiety following the Vikings right now, because they're doing great. But I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? I'm waiting for the missed field goal. I'm waiting for the, the, the overtime interception. And I'll tell you this, conversely, it's actually been really relaxing to be a Packers (laughs) fan right now because for the first time in 30 years, I'm like, well, I don't have to worry about the playoffs. I can just enjoy watching football again. Like, it's actually really refreshing. Aaron Rodgers seems pretty relaxed, too. Yeah, not that I want to do it for a decade or two, but, yeah, this year has been nice. Like, yeah, I'm done with Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm, I'm okay kind of scratching the season off and like, it's fun just watching the Vikings do well or the Cowboys do well because Mike McCarthy, the former Packers coach is mm-hmm. succeeding down. Like that's fun to watch. And there's it's a lot fun of football waiting teams to see out there. when the Cardinals will fire their head coach. Just yeah. That's an that always, ex- always an exciting time of the year. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like we get so, and this is kind of getting off topic, but we get so wrapped up in, well, they didn't win the championship. They didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't win the World Cup. It's like, yeah, but, man, what a ride. Like, if you can't enjoy the ride, even if you do win the championship, it's not going to be as sweet as if he just kind of just gone with the flow. Like, I'm not out there playing. I don't have any pressure. Like, just enjoy it. And for the players, it's different, but chill out, fans. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. You want to wrap this one up? Well, I guess so. I mean, we've been at it for a bit. Oh, we have been at it for a bit. How about that? Yeah, like an hour and a half. It's yeah. an hour. It's it's yeah. it's good stuff. Uh, it is good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to this next week because you know, I guess the one thing I've been watching this World Cup with my in my classroom. And so when the games come on at 11, you know, I'm showing the games, you mm-hmm. know, getting the kids to work and then we're showing the games and, you know, a few will stay for during lunch more want to stay, but they don't really, they're not there for the love of the game. They're there because it's fun and they like yeah. to be obnoxious and I don't want that. But, it's... um, yeah, it is a, it is a lot of fun. Um, that's good. You know, they aren't throwing beers in the air, but it's still unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have, well, I have students who are fans, like big fans of some of these players or countries, and that makes it a bit more fun to see good. them anguishing just like I did during the U.S. game. Yeah. it's. A, I mean, those are important development markers in a child's life to have to suffer through the tragedy of loss yeah um (laughs) all right well that's good that's a wrap um thank you guys for joining us and uh appreciate you make sure you like subscribe follow Uh, we are on tiktok facebook the gram youtube obviously uh twitter so thank you so much for joining us and uh have a great day in history Woo.